yet I have to preach a sermon to get to the sermon, so bear with me. Uh, right, so Palm Sunday and, and Lent is the leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, right? The death, burial, and resurrection uh, that we'll celebrate next week on Easter. But this, this week before, this triumphal entry, it's, it's kind of this interesting spot because Lent is kind of heavy. It's this, this kind of solemn approach to the death of Jesus. And so uh, we go without food or water. We give up something in this, this process of trying to identify with this morning and this anticipation that was going to lean up to morning. And yet then we come to this triumphal entry and we've been mourning and it's solemn. And then we have this one Sunday where we're supposed to shout and be jubilant as the king approaches Jerusalem. And then we're sad again. Come Good Friday. And it's this part where there's almost this duality in our faith as we approach this week. Because we're excited. Here's the coming of the king. And yet we know, looking back on history, this coming of the king is this procession of death. This is his funeral march, if you would. But this triumphal entry is... A prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The palm is actually all throughout kind of uh, Mesopotamia. This, this is kind of a symbol of victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. When when the kings of old would come back from, from victory and conquering a nation or defending their walls, the, the people would be waving this. This is not just something attached to Christ, but throughout history was, was this representation of, of victory, of celebration, of overcoming some sort of opposition. And so we wave it and we shout. The phrase Hosanna, too, is um, sort of interesting. It, it has become this expression of adoration or praise, right? We, we want to celebrate. But the Hebrew that it actually comes from would be better translated as this. Pray, save us. Save us, oh God. It was, it was this desperate plea. Um, and so it's actually Hoshia Nam is the Hebrew, and it's first found in Psalms 118. I'm going to read this for you too. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in us. Save us, or Hoshanah, Hosanna, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. And so that term Hosanna initially was, was this, this cry to God. It was this plea, God, save us. And yet God does save us. And so this plea also became a proclamation that God has saved us. And almost at the same time, we shout, was it like, God, save us. And we're proclaiming in this duality that God has saved us. And one of the challenges in our faith is that uh, if we look at the history of things, God is at work in my life right now, and he is redeeming me, and he is bringing new life into me. And so God is currently saving me. 
I am, salvation is a current work in progress in me. I am being saved. But because of the work that God has already done and already died on the cross for our sins, forgiveness, resurrection, I am already saved. And yet, there's this fulfillment of all of God's promises in the future, and so I will be yet saved. And so it's almost this time-space continuum in our faith, right? I am saved. I am being saved. And I yet will be saved. All at the same time. And as we sing the song, Hosanna, blessed be the rock, it is that cry of, God, save us. At the same time, we're proclaiming, God has saved us. And so carry both with you as we sing this song. One of the things that I always um, sort of resonate, I guess, with this, this idea of the triumphal entry and the piece that kind of sticks out to me is the last little section where the Pharisees begin to tell Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, like, why do you think you're the king? Tell your disciples to quit singing. Make them stop. Like you're riding a colt into town and they're singing Hosanna, which is like usually reserved for the success or the triumphal return of, of a king. And, and you're just this guy from Nazareth. So tell everybody to stop. Like you're doing it wrong. This isn't how it's supposed to go. This isn't how our brain understands this story. And Jesus tells them, even if they were to stop, then the rocks themselves would cry out, right? Because there's this authentic, authenticity in this act of worship and, and the fulfillment of prophecy that, that this was declared ahead of time. So even if you, as a human, or the humans that were there, chose to stop praising the Creator, creation itself, because it has to be true to itself, would cry out, to God and worship Him. Um, in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, there's another song. Um, it was Ain't No Rock. I almost thought, like, oh, do you know that? I almost, I almost made him learn. Um, right? Ain't no rock gonna cry in my place as long as I'm alive to glorify His holy name. Right? You guys, nobody knows that one? All right. It's all over, all right? And then it goes on to say, uh, ain't no tree gonna wave its branches as long as I'm alive holy name. Like, Alright, you guys gotta look it up. It would be way better on YouTube than me. But it was kind of this late 80s, early 90s um, youth group worship kind of song music. And it's just the declaration that like, ain't no rock gonna outpraise God. Not as long as I'm alive to glorify His holy name. Right? And the youth group, everyone's like, ain't no tree gonna wave its branches as long as I'm alive. Right? And this is, this is the text that it's kind of coming from, that, that this is Jesus, and it's been prophesied that he's going to come in as a king. But it's also prophesied that once he's here, we're going to kill him. But as long as I'm alive, I'm going to glorify his holy name. I'm going to sing Hosanna. Because there has to be this authentic representation of who and how we interact with God. Um, there's been, uh, I've been asked recently quite a bit um, 
groups that we've had come in to help with our urban missions trips and things like that. And they, it's been kind of the question, how do I keep going? How do I, day after day, with some of the challenges we see and in the environment marginalized people, how do we not stop doing what we do? And, and part of it is this idea is, and this is where Jesus coming, triumphal entry, with love to the cross as he goes to it. Right? Jesus could have, hmm, too much for me, I've tried to help you all, I'm done. But God had to be authentic even to himself. God came to this world out of love. He could only act in love. He couldn't do, almost, not that he didn't have a choice, but he couldn't do anything else because it was who he is. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It was the only authentic action he could take was to step into this space. There's a story, and some of you guys may have heard it, I, I may have used it here before because I, I like it, so sometimes I repeat myself. Uh, but if I repeat myself eventually, maybe you'll, you'll get it. Uh, the story of a little boy walking along a beach, and this is just after a big storm, and the storm has blown in all sorts of things, and the beach is just full uh, driftwood and whatnot, but this particular storm washed in all of these starfish. And the whole beach, as far as you can see, is just starfish. But they're not like the dried out ones that are hollow and you know you get at the like the, the little beach stores and all of that. These are they've just been washed up and they're still alive. And so the boy walking sees one and he picks it up and he throws it into the beach or back in a, into the ocean. And he takes another step and there's another one. And so he bends over and he picks it up and he throws it in. And he's just, this is his walk, and there's just so many of them. And an older person comes walking along beside him and says, well, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm picking up the starfish and I'm throwing them back in the ocean. He's like, but why? Look, look down the beach. There's hundreds of them. There's thousands of them. There's no way you're going to be able to save them all. This little effort you're doing doesn't matter. And the boy just kind of listens to him. And he takes another step. And he picks up another starfish. And he throws that starfish back into the ocean. And he looks to the older person and says, It matters to that one. And continues on down the beach. And for the little boy... was just being authentic to who he was. Love nature, finding starfish amazing. As he stepped and he walked along the beach, he picked up the starfish and he tossed it in. And like, but, but are you going to be able to save everything? Are you, are you going to get them all? What difference are you making? Why? And it's even these rocks, like that creation, even if the people during the triumphal entry were silent, the rocks would cry out. Because creation had to be authentic to the Creator. And our faith is often that way. We look at the world and we can be overwhelmed with stories and news and shootings in schools and tragedy and garbage and anger. 
And it is so easy to go, why bother? Why bother? A lot of traditional mainline churches are shrinking. Numbers are going down. Congregations are aging. And it's been proposed, why bother? Church is broke. It doesn't work anymore. Just shut the doors. Why bother? Are you going to be able to save all the churches that are shrinking and closing? Probably not. So why bother? And I think the question and part of our spiritual practices for us as individuals in a relationship with the divine God is to figure out what does it mean for us to walk authentically with our God? Who has God created you to be? What passions has he put inside of you? What matters to you? As you engage, if you are called to be generous, then you live out generosity regardless of other people. One of the conversations I got in with a couple of leaders is uh, also the reality of some of the work I do. People are always like, well, aren't you worried about being taken advantage of? Like, if you're generous and you're kind, someone's going to sell you a story and you're going to be taken advantage of. So what do you do with that? How do you guard against that? I'm like, oh, that's not what I guard against. I don't guard against being like, I want to live an authentic, generous life. And therefore, I guard against becoming jaded. I would rather be generous and true to myself and be taken advantage of from time to time than to become ungenerous. To be so skeptical, like, oh, I mean, I have a little bit of reason, but I don't know if you actually need it, Steve, so I'm going to hold on to this. I mean, maybe you need it, maybe you don't. Maybe I'll find someone who needs it more than you. So I don't know. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to keep it for now. It's probably better with me than with you. Right? Like, that's what I'm afraid of. And so, do I get taken advantage of? Probably. Does God care? I don't think so. When God looks at his people, even last week, he read in the call to worship in the scriptures, Matthew 25, right? Like, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the people are like, Lord, when did we see you in these things? When? So whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. When God calls us to love and to be kind, and he has modeled the way of this... Um, Unconditional love, it's one of the things we kind of talk about in church. Unconditional love means that there's not a condition on it. Right? We love God not because of us and all that we have done, but because He first loved us. And Jesus said, without condition, I'm going to send my son. And so without condition, I need to be authentic to who I am. I need to be kind, I need to be generous, I need to love out Christian virtues and values, I need to love my neighbor, I need to love my... But none of those are like, love your neighbor as long as they love you back. I didn't actually see that in scripture, I double-checked this morning. It's not there. Be kind to people only if they're going to make wise choices. 
and reciprocate their, their kindness. Right? Sometimes we, we end up looking everywhere and we see all the starfish or we see uh, you know, the houses people that Lance is working with and, and Lori loves on and, and, and all of these things and, and like, no. I mean, yes, we're supposed to love the world, but this is about your relationship with God. And if I'm going to live authentically with my God and He has called me to an act of loving kindness, then I need to live out loving kindness. Because that's my authentic response to a divine God who has saved me. Regardless of you and your story. What you do with it is not my response. If God says, Stephen, I want you to give, then the question, or my success even in life, is am I living into, and I'll even use the word obedience, am I living into that obedience to God? God isn't, like, what you do with it is on you. <laughs> but if God has said, go and give, go and love, go and serve, then my authentic response is to do that. It is not dependent on how well it's received, or if they vote the way I do, or any of those things. When we start to go and we put our own conditions on it, like we begin to basically, at that point, you're doubting God. I'm going to be kind to people, but only people I think deserve it. And I just wonder if God said, I'm like, do you, do you doubt my unconditional love for the world? Do you doubt me when I say to go and be kind? Do you doubt what I can do with that? Are you trying to limit my power that I can, it somehow can only have an effect on those you deem worthy? Sometimes our loving kindness is in the moment not received at all. And we don't know the full story. But we come back and say, are we going to be faithful to who God has called us and in the moment? Uh, there's a story that I wasn't planning on, but you guys are used to that. Uh, <laughs> when I first started ministry, uh, I worked for Youth for Christ. and worked with at-risk kids. And these were kids that were doing the drop-in center, in and out of juvenile detention, alternative schools. We'd often just run into doing street work and beginning to, to get to know some of the kids who were uh, running the street. And there was this one particular girl who ended up like being connected, and I didn't really know her, but I knew people she was starting to associate with. And so at some point, she came to one of our, our house meetings where we did kind of a community dinner, and then we talked about life skills from the Bible. We was mostly on life skills, but you know, we talked about anger, which dealing with anger is a life skill, but oh, hey, look, scripture actually talks about life, or anger, so. We kind of worked scripture into this life skills progress. And, and she started coming regularly, and she was responding. And she was engaged, and she was asking questions, and, and I became very hopeful about this girl who was having such a positive response to the gospel. Thinking, ah, I'm loving kindness, plus there's a response, this is how it's supposed to be done. And then she just disappeared. For years, I, didn't, I hadn't seen her, I'd ask about her, I'd be like, yeah, she's not really around anymore. And, and I had no idea. What had become? I mean, my story and interaction with her at that point had ended. Years later, 
like four or five years later. Uh, I was helping with a, a kind of national youth or rally deal in, in Olympia. We had national speakers come and all this big thing. It was called Youth Crisis Awareness Week. We had assemblies in every high school and middle school in the county, all this this big work, and we're kind of helping set up tear down. This gal starts walking towards me, came out of the bleacher, starts working toward me, and I'm kind of helping pack up the sound equipment. And it's one of those like, oh, I know this person is coming to me. And I don't recognize her at all. So I'm looking behind me going like, oh yeah, no one behind me, she's definitely coming up to me. Um, and because I, you know, I'd speak places and different schools, and so I'm like, I'm trying to like, and so it's like, hey, you, how are you? I don't know who you are. Uh, and, and, and I try to play along with the conversation long enough that somebody gives something away, like they tip it off, they give me some sort of context um, that I go, oh, you're from that school, you're in so-and-so's class, oh, I know you. Um, and I'm, I, we're talking for a while, just nothing. I have no idea who this person is. Because uh, her countenance had changed. She'd gotten healthier. Finally, when she, when she told me her name, I, I knew, and I just, I finally just said, like, I know who you are. I'm sorry. And she told me who she was, and instantly I knew. I was like, oh my goodness. Where, like, every, like, where, where have you been? What's going on? Like, you just disappeared. I thought we were making progress. And uh, it turns out that she actually believed what I was saying and just did what I told her to do. And one of the pieces was that if, if you are really in this spot and you want to change, like who you're hanging around with is going to impact you. Like this, as much as I love everybody hanging out downtown in our little group, is probably not healthy for you. Like stop hanging out with us and go hang out with some healthy people. And so she did. She had a grandmother who uh, was a faithful part of a church in town. And she's like, I, I called up my grandma and I asked her if I could go to church with her the next week. And my grandmother, you know, just, yeah, right? You know, just, and, and so she ended up getting involved in that church, that church youth group, did some missions trips, and now she was pre-med up at UW. And her whole life had changed. Her countenance had changed. And in my mind, here's a person I've interacted with, and, and for years, this is one we lost. Like, we were so close. She was responding. She was asking good questions. Like, ah. And then she was just gone. So what does it matter? Why keep doing the work? Why keep trying to live authentically in a way of, of loving kindness, of, of showing God's love, of, of being generous to people who make... In my mind, like, I, this was just someone we had lost. And yet God was using it in a way that I was completely unaware of. And so this comes back to like, why would you doubt God? If God has called you to be loving and kind and generous and so, like why would you doubt him and start putting parameters on it and say like, oh, but that person isn't worth my love. Oh, I don't think they're going to make a good decision with my generosity, so I'm going to keep my gifts. Why would you limit God and doubt his ability to work even when it doesn't make sense to you? God can use all of you foolish people. Right? This is the, the gospel that we preach. It's foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. 
And yet as we live out our life in an authentic way, God can use it. And so the question as we go into this week, this holy week, and we start looking towards Easter, and the meals and the family and whatever you do to celebrate this, how do you carry your authentic you in relationship to a divine God? It doesn't matter how your neighbors respond. It doesn't matter what's going on in the cities or the government or the world. Are you going to be the most authentic and genuine version of yourself that God has created? And then to almost walk about and wonder, like, I don't know, God made me this way. Let's see what he does with it. And just go about your day. One of the interesting things, too, um, there are little cards inviting people to Easter. Right? It just says, join us, Easter service, um, community worship, trying to reach out to, to others. Um, one of the, the latest studies um, that I read, this was a Barna article, um, so that it's close to 80% of people, 80%, that's a high number, if they were invited by someone they knew, would go to church on Easter. They act, you know, we mail this, like the whole like, come service, like they're not going to respond to commercials as much, but, but there is this spot where people are looking for relationship. And if you simply were to ask them, there's a great number who would actually come. Now, here's one of the challenges around, as we, we live out in evangelism, is also a spiritual practice, but if we're called to invite people into a relationship with God, which is a weird thing right now, right? Oh, religion is your own thing. We don't talk about faith, politics, and money, right? Those are like the rules uh, at dinner table. Um, well, it's your own journey. It's not my journey. I don't want to, but, and, and it is, it's, it's awkward, and I'm not, society is almost to a point where it's become so awkward that Christians have become silent. It's, it's safer to be silent. And you may invite someone to come to our Easter service next week, and here's something you just have to be amazingly okay with. Hey, would you like to come to Easter service with me and my family? It's a community service. Everybody's welcome. It's early, 9.30. Go about your day. No. Okay. That's okay. Their response is not what I'm called to. Right? How I interact with my neighbors and how they respond to my loving kindness and generosity and invitation. Uh, not what I'm called to. But I do think it's important that we ask and we invite. There's actually a, a sales book that says, go for the no. So one of the, uh, it's a, I'll summarize it super short. I'm already over time. Dang it. Uh, there's a sales guy and typically like you get yeses. And so like, oh, do you want to buy this? You want to buy this? Oh, look at everything they're buying. And he was excited because this person came in and they had, they had a huge thing. The biggest sale he'd ever done. He was working commission. And, and a person came by like, well, tell me, what did the person say no to? And he's like, oh, nothing. 
he, they, they say, yes, like, so then why did you stop asking? And the argument in the sales thing is you don't go, you're not selling, oh, I need two yeses this week. Right? And their quote, I think it was, you get eight no's for every two yeses in their industries or, or whatever. And so they're like, go for the no. Like, if you actually want 50 yeses, and you know it, you're going to get eight no's for every two yeses, and so you're wondering, you know, you do the math. And so what you're actually need to keep track of is how many no's you're getting. Oh, I just got five no's, but it's okay. My quote is 40. I need 40 no's this week. It doesn't matter how many yeses I've already gotten. My quote is 40 no's this week. I'm going to keep going. And until I get my 40 no's, I'm going to just keep inviting people. I'm going to keep telling them. I'm going to keep asking them what they want. Don't be shocked if people don't respond well to your loving kindness, to your generosity, to your authentic self. That is not what God has called you to. What God has called you to is to be the best, most authentic, genuine version of yourself. And so if you think you are supposed to praise God through voice, then praise God through voice regardless of what's going on. If you're supposed to step into a situation and give because that's what you feel the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, then step in and give. But don't put those parameters that start to limit God. He's amazing. He can do things with you. You don't know the full version of the story and what's going on in people's hearts and minds and what's being transformed. This, this process, this Hosanna. God, save us. We are saved. And lean into being authentic. Because if you aren't, the rocks will sing in your place. The trees will praise God in your place. But you're invited into that place. God's genuine desire is that you would be in that relationship with Him, expressing.